There's this great scene in Acts 2. Uh, it's Pentecost. Jews from every nation uh, crowded in to get a closer look and to hear these 12 men speak about God's most recent display of power. And this one guy named Peter, he, he raises his voice to address this crowd some 50 days after his master was crucified in, in this very city of Jerusalem. And he declares that the Holy Spirit has come upon them, ushering in a new age. And here's what Peter says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed in the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it is not possible for him to be held by it. That's from uh, Acts 2.22-24. through 24. Well, the story behind this man, Peter, is an amazing story of a transformed life. You know, it's a story of uh, ups and downs, you know, sometimes getting it wrong, sometimes getting it right. Along with his brother Andrew and, and ten other disciples, Peter was with Jesus for three years of his public, the three years of his public ministry. And we're beginning a series, a new series, from a letter Peter wrote, First Peter. The theme of this letter is standing fast in suffering. Uh, that's one of the main ideas, suffering with a, a purpose. Another main idea is holiness. How We're to remain holy even in times of things like false accusations, insults, malicious talk, uh, blasphemy and, and defamation, reproaches, disgrace. First uh, Peter's very practical letter. And a, a very simple outline sees this letter in two parts. Uh, first, uh, chapters 1 and 2 through verse 10, the uh, believer's character and his holy position. And then the remainder of the letter, 2.11 through 5.13, the believer's conduct or holy practice. Well, today we're going to get acquainted with this man, Peter. We're going to look at who the letter was written to and uh, start with the letter salutation, verses 1 and 2. Let's read that. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, let's begin by looking at the background. Uh, the author is the Apostle Peter. The letter begins. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, we, we see Peter in the gospel accounts uh, first as, as Simon. You know, when Jesus calls Simon and his brother Andrew away from uh, their employment as, as fishermen. Uh, Matthew four eighteen through 19 says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nests and followed him. You know, so in uh, Matthew 14, later on, we see Peter in another boat uh, with, with the disciples during a storm. And uh, they see Jesus walking on the water. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. 
He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to seek. He cried out, Lord, save me. You know, so we see we see Peter in that first scene obeying, just, just setting everything down and following Jesus. We see Peter uh, showing this great faith in Jesus. But then all of a sudden, uh, he, he succumbs to fear. But then he calls out to the Lord, uh, up and down, we, we see Peter. Matthew 16, we see Peter's insight concerning who Jesus is. Uh, Matthew 16, 13 through 19. Jesus asked his disciples, uh, who, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yeah, so Peter Peter was the first of the disciples to uh, really see who, who Jesus Christ was. You know, that, that he was the Christ. A couple of verses later, though, uh, Peter messes it up. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Uh, that's that's quite, a, quite a turn. You know, we see Peter's ups and downs in the gospel accounts. And, you know, in the garden when Jesus is, is arrested, Peter boldly draws a sword to defend Jesus. And, and he cuts off the ear of, of a servant. But after the arrest, Peter turns fearful and, and he denies Jesus three times. After Jesus's resurrection, uh, Jesus has an encounter with Peter asking him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, I do. I do, Lord. You know I love you. And Jesus charges him with leadership over his people. Feed my sheep, he says. He's setting Peter up for uh, being being a major leader in, in the church. So, you know, it's it's a wild ride for Peter. And, and all of these experiences, we, when we see Peter go through them, we see them preparing him for the apostleship that Jesus eventually called him to. You know, along with the other apostles, God used Peter to lay the foundation of the church. And, uh, you know, part of the foundation is is in this book. This, this book of 1 Peter, this letter to the churches. Now, Peter's name in, is, is the Greek form of the word meaning a, a stone or, or a rock, and it was given to Simon, son of Jonah, by the Lord in Matthew 16, 18. When uh, Peter calls himself an apostle, he, he indicates uh, he's, he's been set forth for the purpose of, of teaching and, and proclaiming Jesus you know, this is this is a commission. Such a commission from the Lord would would be given to him. It would give him the right to uh, to pin this letter to to the Christians. So he he speaks with authority, the authority of of our Lord who who sent him.
You know, I, I think we we tend to look at biblical characters a lot of times, not realizing, you know, they're they're real people. Uh, Peter was was a normal guy, just just like the rest of us. Uh, Dr. Larry Waters says uh, about Peter, you know, before the resurrection, here's what he was like. He he was impetuous. He was strong-willed, violent, easily distracted, uh, sometimes cowardly, sometimes brave too. But on, on the other side, he was outspoken, yet he was very weak. After the resurrection, however, because of the Spirit of God with, within him, because of his learning and, and proceeding along in, in his growth as a Christian uh, through Jesus, through the help of uh, the, the Apostle Paul, you know, Paul helped straighten out some things in, in Peter's life. And so you have the leader. He became a leader. He's, he's totally dependent on the Lord. He's, he's strong spiritually. He's humble. He's brave. And he, he boasts in Christ and, and focuses on his ministry. According to uh, church tradition, P Peter was killed under Nero, the, the emperor Nero. He was crucified just like Jesus, but the tradition says he was crucified up down, upside down at, at his own request. You know, the story goes that he considered himself unworthy to die in, in the same manner as his Lord. So that's the author, Peter. Now, who was this letter written to? Uh, the, the audience, uh, Peter's salutation contains both a description of the audience uh, and, and a theological explanation as, as to how they became Christians. Peter's writing this letter to Christians who are now in what uh, what is modern Turkey. Uh, Paul had planted churches there when he traveled on his uh, missionary journeys. And uh, this letter is an encyclical letter. It was it was intended to make its round among the churches in this area. He he lists them, and it appears that this letter would have gone around in a uh, round robin order, uh, in which in the order in which they're listed. Uh, obviously, this letter is intended for Christians, and uh, most of these probably would have been former Jews who who've been converted to uh, to Christianity. Uh, Peter uses language throughout the letter that, that would resonate with the Jews. Uh, it, it has many Jewish overtones. He, uh, he heavily quotes from and, and alludes to the Old Testament. He uses this, this word dispersion, the, the Greek word diaspora, to describe them. Uh, James uses, the, uses similar language in his salutation in, in his epistle. He says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And, uh, you know, this, this word perhaps describes the, the scattering, the dispersion of the Jews that had taken place when uh, the Babylonians destroyed the temple and, and took captive and exiled the Jews. Uh, Peter Davids estimated that when Peter wrote this epistle, about a million Jews lived in Palestine and two to four million lived outside of it. Uh, Asia Minor, this this area that is now Turkey, had the third largest concentra concentration of uh, diaspora Jews after uh, Babylon and Egypt. Now, of course, there are many instances instances in this letter that would indicate a good number of Gentiles were in this church, also in these churches, uh, converted Gentiles. Uh, for example, Peter talks about former things such as 
lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and, and abominable idolatries. You know, the, the, maybe this describes Jews as well, but Peter's most likely addressing the practices of, of unsaved Gentiles. Uh, verse 210, I think, points to a, a Gentile readership. Listen to this. He says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I would, I would contend that the readership is mixed, uh, saved Jews along with saved Gentiles. Now, Peter says three things about the believers he's writing to. Uh, he says they are strangers they are chosen, and that they are recipients of God's grace and his peace. So let's, uh, let's look at strangers. They're, they're strangers. Peter says to those who were elect exiles of the dispersion in, in Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and, and Bithynia. Well, let's begin by looking at this description, exiles of, of the dispersion. This, this word translated exiles means uh, staying for a while in a strange or foreign place, sojourning, uh, residing temporarily. Uh, some of these people were in Asia Minor because the Jews had been scattered several hundred years earlier. Uh, some might have been scattered because of the uh, persecution of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, in either case, they were they were physically exiled from their places of origin, uh, far away from home. They, they were strangers. Uh, but as with all of us, we we could say they're spiritual exiles as well. You know, we we live here, we live in the world, but the world is not our home. Uh, our, our citizenship is not on earth; it's it's in heaven, rather. You know, there have been a lot of songs written about this. There, there's a uh, bluegrass song, the world is not my home. Uh, I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger. Uh, our, our hymnal has, has several hymns that, that speak to this. You know, we're, we're strangers, we're, we're pilgrims. Now the believers were not only exiles, but Peter says they're God's elect exiles. Uh, they, they are elect, they, they are chosen the elect exiles of this dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkler sprinkling with his blood. Uh, this introduction carries uh, significant theological freight uh, for the readers are identified as elect exiles and, and the salvation accomplished is uh, attributed to the work of the Father, the, the Spirit, and the Son. We, we see this Trinitarian formula here. Well, this word elect, again, means chosen. Uh, just as the people of Israel in the Old Testament, Old Testament were God's chosen people, those in the church are God's chosen people as well. They're, they are the elect. In chapter 2, we... We're going to see what's said about us. The same thing that was said about Israel. In, in chapter 2, 9 to 10, it says, You are a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is speaking of us. God has called us. He's chosen us into his service. He's chosen us to be strangers and to be scattered in this world. To be his witnesses, to be a blessing to the world, to make disciples of, of people of the world. Peter calls the readers of the letter elect exiles of the dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now this word elect, I think, makes a lot of people squirm. It, it makes them uncomfortable uh, to hear that, that God would say that he chooses people. You know, at one extreme, some would say, well, God decides. You have no choice in the matter. On the other hand, the other extreme, some people would say, it's all my choice. It's entirely up to me to decide whether I want to follow God by believing in Christ. And this is this has been a big debate for a long time. You know, this... this uh, notion of, of God's sovereignty versus human responsibility. How, how do we reconcile these things? You know, and I, we're not going to, we're not going to solve this uh, today. You know, we could spend countless hours discussing and, and debating this. And uh, frankly, I have spent countless hours <laughs> discussing and obe- uh, debating this with people who hold extreme views on, on both sides of the spectrum. You know, the thing is, I'm perfectly fine being in full fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ who maybe disagrees with me, who, who holds a different view in, in this discussion. Uh, we, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Uh, we, we must not divide over secondary issues, and, and this is one of them. Now, one thing I can say uh, is that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, He's, he's the Christ. He is the chosen one, and we are in him. So by virtue of being in Christ, we are, are chosen. R.B. Cooper, during his days as a guest le- le- lecturer at uh, Calvin Seminary, once used this following uh, illustration of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Listen to this. He says, I liken them to two ropes going through two holes in the ceiling over a pulley above. If, if I wish to support myself by them, I must cling to them both. If I cling to only one and not the other, I go down. I read the many teachings of the Bible regarding God's election, predestination, his, his chosen, and so on. But I also read the many teachings regarding whosoever will may come and urging people to exercise their responsibility as, as human beings. You know, these, these seemingly contradictions, these seeming contradictions cannot be reconciled by the puny human mind. With childlike faith, I must cling to both ropes, fully confident that in eternity, I will see both strands of truth are, after all, of one piece. So God knew from eternity past. He had a plan for these believers, just like he has a plan for us. He he knew they would be scattered. He knew they would be dispersed from their homeland. 
And he had them there for a purpose. I, I believe that everything I've gone through, everything good and bad uh, during the course of my life has prepared me for being right here, right now. And I believe that of, of each of you. Just like Peter, all my successes, all my failures, all of the lessons I've learned along the way, each of us, the same thing. If we believed in Jesus Christ, God has a purpose for us. He prepared us. He, he's preparing us for what he has for us. He, we are chosen for service. We were saved to serve. And, and Paul says it very well in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, that, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are chosen by the Father. But Paul adds, in the sanctification of the Spirit. What is sanctification? It's, it's being set apart, being made holy for God's service. This is God's plan for us. It is the living Spirit of God who works this in us. Remember, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come up upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, we, we are chosen workers. We are elect exiles of the dispersion, uh, taking the gospel to the world, set apart consecrated for the service of our Lord, consecrated for the service of the kingdom of God. Finally, it says for obedience to Christ or to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling of the, with his blood. You know, this is the purpose for which we've been chosen. This is the reason. This is why we have been set apart. This is the purpose for our election. Two things. First, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He also said the greatest commandment is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, later he ratcheted up a, a notch. He said, I give you a new commandment. He said, as I have Loved you, you are to love one another. This is a great place to start. Love God, love people. And that love is manifested in the obedience to the other things that Jesus has told us to do. He said, you will be my witnesses. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to do the things I've commanded. We've been saved to serve. You know, if, if we are members of, of the body of Christ, we've been chosen. In, in his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says that each member needs to be equipped for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, second, we've been chosen for sprinkling with Christ's blood. 
And we need to look back to the Old Testament here. The uh, sprinkling of the blood blood looks back to Exodus 24, 3 through 8. You know, I've I've read this many times and um, not paid a whole lot of attention to it. You you know, you think of the sprinkling of the blood in the Bible. You you think of the uh, the Passover in Egypt, where the blood of the uh, the lamb was was sprinkled on the doorposts. Uh, you think of the blood of atonement being sprinkled on the mercy seat and the tabernacle, and later in the temple. You know, these these types of things certainly look forward to the the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, the sprinkling of the blood cleanses us from from our sin. But uh, Dr. Stanley Toussaint points out that uh, there's only one place in the whole Old Testament where people were sprinkled with blood. The people, the people of Israel at at Mount Sinai, uh, Exodus 24. At At the inauguration of the law of Moses, we read in Hebrew that Hebrews that he sprinkled the blood on the book and the people. Exodus simply says Moses sprinkled the people, but the blood was sprinkled on the people. Dr. Toussaint says, uh, <laughs> this is where I'd want to I'd want to be in the back row. You know, blood was sprinkled on the people. Peter's saying here, you're sprinkled with the blood of Christ. What's he saying? He's talking about a new covenant. Christ is the new Moses who brings a whole new covenant. And uh, we just brush by that phrase, don't even pay attention to it. It's loaded with theology, sprinkled with his blood. It's, it's the idea of a whole new covenant with Christ. Uh, you know, no matter what your beliefs are about how election works, let's get back to this. We, we must acknowledge that Christians are recipients of God's grace and, and his peace. This is, this is key. Peter ends this verse 2 with, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I, I love that word multiplied. He he doesn't say, May God's grace and peace be added to you, but, but multiplied. Uh, God's grace is amazingly huge. You know, we're, we're saved by his grace. And you know, anytime we think that we need to do good works to receive salvation, we've misunderstood the, the gospel of grace. Anytime we think that our good works will keep us saved, we've misunderstood the gospel of grace. You know, verse verse 1 used this word elect. The the Greek word is eklektos. It means to be selected or chosen. You know, the doctrine of election has, again, like like I said earlier, been the the source of disagreement and conflict for a long time. You know, we, we have a difficult time reconciling God's sovereignty with human responsibility. You know, God chooses us, but don't we choose God? Alistair Begg points out that, you know, when we when we come to faith in Jesus, it seems like there's a lot of emphasis on what I have to do. You know, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You know, we, we need to turn from our old ways, turn to God. We need to trust in Jesus and have faith in him and you know, the thing is, once we've been saved for a number of years, our, our perspective begins to expand. You know, we, we're able to look back and, and see God's hand in the process. You know, maybe maybe it was our parents, you know, being born into a family of believers. Maybe, maybe someone just happened to be there to, to tell us about Jesus. You know, maybe we, 
wandered into a church and heard the gospel for the first time. Maybe maybe it was a set of circumstances in our, our lives that, that just convinced us that uh, we could not save ourselves. We, we need a savior. You know, it could be one of a million things. But we can look back and see that it really is by God's grace. His, his grace multiplied to us that we were saved. And how do we explain this? Um, you know, one, one analogy, not, not a perfect analogy for sure, uh, for me is, is to look at my marriage. You know, did, did I choose my wife or, or did she choose me? You know, depending on the perspective, I could say both. You know, I, I decided I wanted her, so I asked her to marry me. She could have said no. Thankfully, she didn't. <laughs> she said yes, and so doing, she chose me. You know, of course, like I said, this isn't a perfect analogy. I'm not omniscient. I don't know the beginning from the end like, like God does. But, you know, nonetheless, somehow God is sovereign. And at the same time, we are responsible for our response to his call. Uh, in any case, we are the recipients of God's amazing grace. His grace doesn't end. It's multiplied. God gives us his grace in full measure. This is a grace that doesn't give up. It's that we can't we can't ever forget that you know the, the second part is peace uh, and i think these go together and i think they go in this order first god's grace and then his peace we need his peace but we're not going to have his peace until we have his grace uh, we need peace with god we need peace with one another we need uh, inner peace and he offers us this peace in abundance you know, not only is his grace multiplied, but his peace is multiplied as well. We need to live in that peace. We we need that peace multiplied. Well, wrapping it up here, I, I'm looking forward to uh, learning from this book as, as I go along, and I hope you are too. And, uh, you know, this is, this is a book that is so rich in theology and also a very uh, practical book. You know, this, this, is a, this is a book of the Bible that speaks to me. It speaks to us as, as a church in this time this book that was written by this, this great apostle who was just an ordinary guy just like us but it speaks to us right here and, and right now well let's let's pray together uh father we, we thank you for your word spoken and inspired by the spirit given to us uh, that we may uh learn to know you and, and to, to walk in your spirit. Thank you for your, your grace, your grace multiplied to us, your grace in uh, abundance and full measure. Uh, Lord, it's uh, with, with humility that, that we see your grace in, in planning for our salvation, Father. We, we see your grace in Jesus procuring our salvation. And we see your grace in the Holy Spirit applying your salvation to us. Uh, we, we just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.